0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello, welcome to Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor.
1: And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Tuesday the 20th of September 2021.
0: And Norman, we've got roadmaps from different states talking about all the different steps along the path to reopening. We've got airlines selling tickets to overseas locations which is a, an exciting thing and this sense that perhaps one day Australia will join the rest of the world and reopen is feeling a little bit more real now than it was a couple of weeks ago or months ago for sure and one of the things that I think we need to remember when it comes to reopening is that the reason why we've we've had such a tight chokehold on the virus in these past few months is because of the risk of overwhelming the healthcare system if the virus is allowed to travel unchecked. Now what more and more of us are getting vaccinated. So what do we know about once we do rejoin the rest of the world, what kind of an impact it's going to have on our healthcare system if we wait till we're 80% fully vaccinated before we do that reopening?
1: So you can look at the modelling, uh, the Burnett Institute and the Doherty modelling, and what they both say is that if you open up too quickly at either 70% or 80%, you can get a really bad surge in cases. And the question then is what that does to hospitalizations, ICU admissions, and deaths. And the uh, we can go into the modeling that we've talked about before. The Burnett Institute modeling is a bit more sober than the, the Doherty modeling, because they've factored in the virulence of the virus. And so, it's this question about how quickly you open up and how carefully you open up and the battle with the vaccine to get it under control. Now, yesterday's CoronaCast, we spoke about the effectiveness of the vaccines in controlling infection, not controlling hospitalization, but infection. And they're pretty good at controlling infection 67% on average for Astra, 80% for Pfizer, even more if you're younger. And yes, Pfizer does wane, but most people have had their Pfizer fairly recently. And since younger people are the people who spread this, they've got higher levels than older people. So that's good in terms of bending the curve. But we can look to overseas And by the time, for example, New South Wales, which is first off the rank, opens up a bit at 70%, the worry was that New South Wales would open up far too much at 70% and it really could run away from them. It seems to be a bit more judicious now. And that's coming up quite soon. Maybe the 8th of October was when New South Wales reached 70% double vaccination. We can look to overseas and the patterns of opening up overseas. So there's been various patterns of opening up internationally. One has been the UK and I think the Netherlands, to some extent, having a freedom day. Everything opens up at a certain point. No staging, it just opens up. Israel did that to some extent as well. And what you saw in Israel and what you saw in the UK has been a really big surge in Delta cases. In the UK, it tended to tail off a bit. Israel has got more people unvaccinated proportionately than the UK, and they've had some stress on their hospital system. Another example of opening up have been Norway and Denmark, where they've done it pretty much the way Australia looks like doing it, which is in a staged way. So since earlier in the year, they've been just doing one thing after another, slowly opening, using vaccine passports, etc., And getting to the point where they've achieved, in our terms, probably about 80% of the population immunised. Denmark opened up maybe 10, 12 days ago. Norway opened up over the weekend.
0: That's pretty recently. How much can we read into what's happening there yet?
1: Well, you can look at the UK. What's been happening in the UK is that they've had this surge of Delta. It's varied a bit over summer. Um, It got a bit worse when kids went back to school. But the hospitalisations have dropped off quite dramatically um so they've they've they really do seem to have a disconnect between the cases now and the hospitalizations and nobody can really explain that probably not enough people have had covid infection in the united kingdom to make a big difference it's maybe 10 12% of the population perhaps a little bit more than that if you Consider that um, there's been quite a lot of underdiagnosis in the UK. It's hard to know exactly what. But it's possible that this background of COVID infections followed by immunisation, has really amped up their, their coverage and controlling hospitalizations. Denmark so far is not seeing a rise in hospitalizations. If anything, that's it's static or even declining in terms of ICU admissions, and it's too early for Norway. But we'll be able to see in the next two or three weeks what's happening there and whether we should be worried. But so far, the news is actually okay.
0: There's sort of two different categories in Australia, though, at the moment, there's places like the ACT, uh, Sydney, Greater Sydney and Melbourne, where there's active outbreaks. And when we're reopening, we're allowing those active outbreaks to spread to more people. And then there's the states like WA and Queensland and Tasmania that have no outbreaks. And so easing borders means letting it in. How do we balance those two things?
1: Well, there's an extra thing to balance before I get to that question. The extra thing to balance is that 50% of the infections in Israel are under 18 and 30% are under 12 and they're not immunised.
0: People who can't be immunised.
1: They can't be immunised because there's no approved vaccine. So the risk is that you get a really strong surge in children and some of those children will end up in hospital and some of them will end up seriously ill. Not many, proportionately speaking, but that's a worry too. You're not seeing a big effect of that in the United Kingdom at the moment. But Israel's worried about that. You're certainly seeing it in the southern states of the United States, where you've got quite a few sick kids around, but there's more virus around as well. So it's hard to know exactly what will happen there. With borders, it's now a problem politically for those states because, sure as anything, if they open up, COVID will come in. And if COVID comes in, it will spread. And they've got to have an act of faith that if they've got 80 or 90% coverage, they're more likely to get to 80% than 90%. New South Wales and Victoria will get to 90% and they're going to be in a pretty good sh- in pretty good shape. But it, it will take a deep breath on the part of the Queensland and Western Australian authorities to open up and allow COVID in, but they're going to have to do it at some point.
0: And what about international borders?
1: Well, I think we've been saying on Chronicast for a while, um, in fact, even prior to when the Prime Minister and the Premier were talking about it, is that New South Wales and Victoria could open up to international travel before the other states because if we've shown that the risk is low in terms of the virus circulating in the community. You get people tested before they arrive, they're fully vaccinated, they wear a mask on the plane, and you go into a short period of home quarantine just to make sure you're not infected, the risk is really low. So, I mean, I would anticipate international travel quite soon in New South Wales and not long after that in Victoria.
0: You mentioned before the waning of of Pfizer's effectiveness, and we talked about that in a lot of detail yesterday. Samantha's actually written in asking about that, saying, Norman, you said that Pfizer drops 22% every month in effectiveness. Does that mean that after five months, if you had Pfizer, you're no longer protected against COVID?
1: So if you look at the Israeli data, which is not quite as good as the data that we talked about yesterday from the UK, no, you've still got protection against hospitalisation and severe disease. We're only talking about infection. So you, you do have susceptibility to infection and to passing that on.
0: So yes, good protection against hospitalisation and death, which is really important. But yesterday we were talking specifically about any infection. What about Samantha's question with regards to that?
1: We don't know yet. Um, just the people have not been followed up for long enough in the world of Delta. And those data we talked about yesterday, I think, were through to August. So we just haven't followed people through enough to see what effect that has. And um, in, in many countries, they're already starting booster programs, particularly for the over 65s and people with immunosuppression. And that those are probably the groups, because if you look at the vaccine effectiveness data, it's, it's higher in younger people and less in older people. And the over 65s are probably going to lose their effectiveness in terms of infection faster than younger people. So it's going to be nuanced, and it depends what vaccine you've had and whether you've got complications and so on. And I think they're just sorting that out. What we do need to move to fairly quickly is immunosuppressed people being immunised with a third dose.
0: And a question from Roger prompted, I'm assuming because outdoor pools in New South Wales are reopening, um, saying, welcome back. You were missed. Thanks, Roger. Is there any risk of catching the virus from swimming pool water if an infected person breathes out into the water and I swim through this a few seconds later? He's not worried about non-vaccinated people walking around the pool in open air, just what their breath might do in the water because he's very keen to get back in the pool.
1: Um, well, we had these questions, if you remember rightly, Tegan, in March Last 2020 year. Yeah. Yeah, about this. And the the received wisdom from the experts was that the chlorination of the water, whether it's through through salt or chlorine, will actually kill the virus. And the virus is very unlikely to survive in the water.
0: I wouldn't expect you'd be breathing in the water, though, anyway. Not to be, f- I mean, I'm a being a little bit flippant, but... You're breathing in air, not water.
1: Well, if if your breathing technique is as bad as mine in the water, you'll be taking in an awful lot. Okay.
0: <laughs> you can't wear a mask in a pool. No. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's Coronacast. Send your questions and comments to abc.net.au slash coronacast, and we'll see you tomorrow.
1: See you next time.